Thank you, worship band. Can we get up for the worship band this morning? Thank you, guys. Man, awesome, awesome morning. Really love, I love, love that song, Power of His Presence. I hope everybody, when you come, you don't feel like you got to be quiet. We can make noise when we worship the Lord. We can move around. We can lift our hands. We can praise Him. If you saw anybody doing that, you're like, why are they lifting their hands? So we like to give praise to the Lord. We, we seek him. We reach towards him. We surrender to him. And I, I love that. That's a great song. So thank you, Jana and Theo and the whole team. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, if I haven't met you, oh, yeah, we can give it up for them. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I can't just leave it at golf clap for the worship team. But, uh, yeah, like Katie said, I'm, uh, I'm excited uh, for our small group season. Uh, I know, has anybody here been missing having small group? You're like, I miss my group. Yeah, I, I miss small group season too. You know, we take a month to get prepared. Uh, it's been a crazy, honestly, month of my life. Um, so I appreciated the little bit of break for the sake of, um, I don't know what the opposite of chaos is, but that. Um, peace, thank you, <laughs> Robert, coming in. Love it. Uh, but I haven't met you yet. My name's Josh, one of the pastors here at Banner Church, and uh, excited to continue our Acts series this morning. We're in Acts 2. If you brought your Bible, uh, open up to Acts 2, because we'll be there in a second. If not, I'll, I'll have the words on the screen. And I want to encourage you, uh, Jana's been doing this, and I love this. On our social media, we've been putting up uh, in preparation for the Sunday, what scripture to read. So if you are somebody who are like, what, what am I going to be reading this week? What am I going to be studying in the Bible? You know, I, I don't really know where to start. You can read along with us in preparation for what we're going to talk on. So if you uh, read Acts, uh, this week we put up Acts 2, 42 through 47, and really the second half of Acts 2, we sent that out and, uh, all over our social media. And if you read that and you go, okay, great, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the scripture I'm gonna, it's going to probably build some questions in my mind, and then when I come on Sunday, my hope is that the thirst that's grown inside of me it is filled, right? And that's, that's how it works. So I want to encourage you this week, finish in Acts 2, and the next week we're, we're really in Acts 3. So if, if you're like, what should I read next week? Acts 3. There we go. So what, is, what should we read next week? Acts 3. Amen. Good, good, good. Well, this morning, we're continuing and we're going to Acts 2, but let's pray. Let's focus our hearts, kind of have this moment together before we dive into it. Um, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, we glorify you this morning that we can hear your word. God, we thank you that you've given your word to us to speak into our hearts, to transform us, to change us, to renew us, to encourage us. And so, God, this morning, we just come with an open heart. And we say, God, would you do a work in our life? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys are coming to this block party? Ra raise your hand. How many are coming to the? Okay, good. All right, good. We ordered enough food then. Good. Got this new Bible. Man, it's still too big. <laughs> it's, it's too much. There's columns. There's all sorts of stuff. Not spiritual enough for this. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. I we're, we're, Where we are in Acts is we've been talking about the birth of the church and really on Christ founding the church and what he founded it to be. And so we're in Acts 2, the very end of Acts 2. We talked about Pentecost last week, and honestly, it was a great Sunday. I love seeing what God is doing in the lives of this church, filling us with the Holy Spirit and, and using us, honestly, for great things. And it's been so cool of what God has been doing. Even last night, Michael uh, Swearingen and I were out here and we were drawing all over the wall. I don't know if you saw when you came in, preparing for it to be painted. Honestly, I would love to take credit for this, but I'm just like there asking questions. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I don't know what's lower than apprentice. Hangabout, yeah, prospect, yeah, that's what I am of art, the art. But drawing that and you know, we had the opportunity just to pray together and pray for him and, and just pray that God would move. And I love these just kind of organic things that are happening in our church where we're, when we're together, it's like, rather than being like, yeah, I'll pray with you. It's like, man, let's just pray right now. Let's pray that God would move. Let's pray that God would heal. Let's pray that God would change. So I, I love that, and I love this series, but we're going to continue. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the honeymoon, the honeymoon of the church. Uh, my wife and I have been married for eight years, and we've been together for 13. Please, is that right? 13-ish? Yeah, cool. Uh, and I, I remember my honeymoon, and I'm not going to share for the reason you think, but I remember my honeymoon because when we went to Mexico, and I never, don't be, don't make it weird, we're two minutes in. <laughs> don't make it weird, Jamin. <laughs> uh, 
But we go to Mexico, and, and I'd only really been to Central Mexico. I'd never been to tourist Mexico. I've been to Mexico a dozen times. Never been to, like, touristy, just go to cities. Never been to, like, Cabo. So we booked this trip. And um, I didn't know what, like, hurricane season was, but apparently that is when we booked our trip. So we're like, it's so cheap. Yeah. I was like, well, duh. Because, like, God is throwing the ocean at you. <laughs> That's why it's cheap. And so we get there, and we're like, it's a bit cloudy. It's fine. It's going to miss us. And then we get, and the next day, this, like, piece of paper slid under our door. Like, that was the extent of the communication. And just, and I don't speak Spanish, so I'm going to translate it. It just said, hurricane. I don't know, something like, get out. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> And we're like, oh, okay, cool. Or it's like, you can stay, but it's going to cost you a lot of money. And we're like, well, we're poor, we're in ministry, we got to get out. So we called, called my family, and we're like, help us get out of Mexico. I mean, we barely got here. Like, we're barely making it. And it's like, help us get out, help us get out of the hurricane. So we leave, and literally an hour after we fly out, they shut the airport down. And so we flew out of Mexico. We went to California and obviously had a great time. But I'll never forget this experience of being like, yeah, it's going to be so romantic. It's going to be so great. And it's just like us, this other couple from England in the pool and just dark skies. And you can see it coming for forever. And then day two, there's just like, hurricane, y'all going to die. Like, that's the note we get. And so I'll always remember the honeymoon. But I think... Uh, in every relationship, there's, there's a honeymoon season. Does anyone remember that season of your marriage? If you're married in here, do you remember the honeymoon season? Do you know what I'm talking about? You can raise your hand or say yeah or, uh, or no, whatever you want to say. No, I don't. I'm not married. I'm single. And you've now isolated me from the community. <laughs> Amen. And we'll pray it in. Come to prayer meeting. Monday night, 630, prayer. I will intercede for your relationship that God has prepared. So 6.30 in the basement, there's prayer. It's good. We'll pray for you. We'll lift you up. We'll exalt it. doesn't matter. You could be 20, 50, 60, 80. doesn't matter. We'll pray someone in. Come on. <laughs> this is way off topic. Good. Well, we've started well. Anyways. <laughs> I, I remember uh, this honeymoon season. I, I think the honeymoon season is special because, like, everything's cute. And you're, like, with your spouse and, like, everything they do, how they cook is, like, oh, man. How they, like, eat is, it's, like, oh, it's so cute. You're, like, going to fall asleep in each other's arms. Like, it's so cute. Say to remember when the honeymoon ended. Say to remember when that season was over. Newlyweds or people who are about to get married are, like, I I can't believe he said that. Like, it never ends. We do pre-marriage counseling with people, and we tell them, like, eventually that season's going to end, and they look at you like, you loveless old people. Like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Our love will burn forever, <laughs> you know. But it will. Like, there's a season where it ends. I remember when the kind of honeymoon season in my life ended was when my wife from this gross apartment that we lived in, I hear her from the laundry room, a.k.a. closet, where they decided to put a washing machine, scream, all these socks, and then throw socks out of the laundry room. <laughs> like that, and that's when I knew I had gone too far, because <laughs> when you're a single guy, it doesn't matter where you leave your socks, right? It's all dirty clothes. What matters what proximity to the laundry machine it is? Eventually, once a month, you're going to need to take all of it and just gather it together and jam it all in the washing machine because it's not past the smell test anymore. So in that moment, all these socks, I remember that the honeymoon season had ended. But can I tell you, when the honeymoon season is over... The love isn't over, right? For those that have been married, I mean, I, I love, there's people in our church who've been married for over 50 years, and it's like, has the love ended? No, you see them together, and it's like, the love is so strong. It's so powerful. Like, I was hanging out with Celeste and Celine, and they're just like the cutest, most amazing couple I've ever met, and they just love each other so fiercely. And how many years have you guys been married? 52 years. Can we get up for that? 52 years. Oh, my goodness. Amen. But I remember, you know, when the season ended, that the love still remained. The love, it grew and it changed. And change is good, right? It's good that relationships grow, that they change, that they, that they strengthen. But what's crucial when you go from the honeymoon season to the season of kind of reality and real life and living is that there's a solid foundation, that you can look as a couple or in relationships and you say, what holds up this relationship? What bolsters this relationship? 
What, what builds us? And this isn't a relationship series. This is pointing as an example here. It's to say, what, what holds us up? What principles do we live by? What fuels our love? Because it's not emotion, because that ended as soon as the eighth pair of socks was left up. Like, I, the veil was torn on this being, like, perfect. And, and what holds up our love? What sustains uh, this relationship? And so when we look at Acts 2, what we're seeing in this moment is the honeymoon season of the church. And we're seeing this moment of the church where it's in its infancy, it's in its honeymoon, and it's, and it's basically like the Holy Spirit fell, right? We talked Pentecost last week. The Holy Spirit falls. It changes everything. They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to move and see signs and wonders. 3,000 people get saved and are added to their number. I'm going to tell you, I pray for that. God, just add 3,000. That's all I want. Just 3,000 people in one day. That's all I'm asking for. The block party, will, ATL will just be pumping out wings and we'll be getting people saved. There's no message. Please bring your friends. We're not. But in this moment... It's so good, right? Uh, the church, as we look at it in Acts 2, they're in this really great season. Everything's good. There's, not, there's some persecution, but they haven't really experienced the fullness of what they're going to experience and how bad it can get. The majority of them in this moment kind of all come from the same religious background. There, there are those who are different, but for the most part, everybody's Jewish. So they all have the same understanding, the same background. There's not the arguments that we see later in scripture over things like circumcision and ceremony and all these things where they would go into a town and people would get saved. And then the, the class, you know, Jewish people come along and say, you have to be circumcised. And then the people would be like, what's that? No, I think I'll just not follow Jesus. <laughs> But they didn't have these moments yet. It was, it was perfect. It was good. And so what they said is in the moment when it's good, in the moment when it's healthy, in the moment when, it, when it's loving, we got to set up some pillars that we can stand on when it gets bad. Right, because it doesn't always stay calm. The ocean is not always glass, right? It, 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 it's very rarely calm for a very long time. So when it's good, we gotta set up the pillars of what we stand on. And so they began uh, in this moment to act out and therefore make us ask the question as a church, what, what does a healthy church look like? What do healthy Christians actually do, right? Because the early church that we see in Acts, they're filled with the Holy, they're waiting, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't even call themselves really church yet. They're just the apostles, the disciples. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved, and then they're kind of like, now what? There's 3,000 of us. It's easy to manage 12, even 120. It's a lot harder to manage 3,000. And remember, there are 3,000 from nations that they needed the gifting of the Holy Spirit to even communicate to, right? So there's all of these people in this moment, and they're saying, okay, we got to figure out what are we supposed to be doing, right? How many of you guys know there's a difference between just doing something and doing the right things? And so they got to figure out how are we supposed to do the right things. And so what we see at the end of Acts 2 is they begin to set up the pillars of what the, the church is going to rest on. And some people, they look at Acts and they say it's descriptive, and some say it's prescriptive, right? Some people look at Acts and they say, like, exactly what they're doing is what we have to do. And some people say, well, no, they're... they're they're talking about a place and time, but they're showing us biblical principle and biblical idea of, okay, what, what does it mean to be the church? And so that's the kind of the direction that we sit in isn't a literal understanding, but saying, okay, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? What is motivating it? And then what are they establishing? And so this morning when we read in Acts 2, I want you to see what is the church and what is scripture trying to tell us that their pillar, what, what is holding it up? When it goes from the honeymoon to the real life, what is going to keep the love strong? What's going to keep it real? What is going to keep it sustained? What's going to keep it together? And so let's, we're going to read this morning in Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, and see what he says. Let's read together. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. If you're a person who likes to underline in your Bible, uh, you can do that. It won't, will not burst into flames. You can underline things. It's okay. You can write in it. Um, you can circle things. Some people can't. But if you like underline, underline this, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then it says this, I love this, and the awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And then it says this, may we receive this as our church. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see those things, and I had you underline those four things because really what we see in the establishment of the church, while they're still in their honeymoon, before they begin to be persecuted, before they begin to be really under threat, they set up basically four pillars kind of of the church, four things that the church would stand on. Um, and and what, what would really hold up the structure of the church. And so there, there's four things that I think really show a healthy church. And when I say healthy church, here's what I mean. Healthy us, healthy Christians. When, when I say church, what I mean is the gathering of Christians, that we are the body of Christ. And so there's four things that they did that I think we can really see show. Here's the four pillars of a healthy church healthy church, or healthy Christians. The very first one, that general on it, it's the gospel. Uh, scripture says the apostles' teaching. This is kind of interesting because, so the early church, they add to their number, but the early church doesn't have the New Testament, right? They don't, they don't have this. They don't have a, a what, are, what are they called, Christian bookstores. They don't have Amazon, <laughs> In fact, a lot of them don't even have access to the Old Testament because they don't understand or read the kind of Hebrew that's necessary ceremonially to actually read Scripture. So they don't have access to the Scripture, so it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right In the beginning of the church, in, and it didn't stay like this, but in the beginning of the church, in their infancy, in this moment, they relied so heavily on the apostles' teaching. And what's funny, I think about this, is they're relying on the apostles' teaching, and the apostles are still being taught, right? They're still learning. At this time, like, Peter was still following old ceremonial laws about food that turns out later he didn't really have to follow anymore. In this point in the church, they were still learning that, like, the church wasn't just for Jewish people, that it was for all of us who are not I mean, I'm not Jewish, so it would be for me, for the Gentiles. So they were still learning what it really meant to be the church. And not that these things hadn't been shared, but they were still learning them. Often we can hear things, and we don't always learn them at the same time we hear them. Amen. And so they were still learning together, but what they did is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the gospel. They were teaching the word of Jesus right? They were literally teaching the words of Jesus, what they had heard, what they had seen, what Jesus had taught them. They would begin to, to teach, and they, they would begin to teach how it tied into to the promises, how the promises were fulfilled, the promises from the Old Testament. They began to teach together, and they were teaching the words of Jesus. And can I tell you, the words of Jesus are so important because the words of Jesus are powerful, what I love about Jesus is that he didn't speak as someone as though he had power, but with power, right? Jesus had authority and power. The words he spoke had authority and power. Mark 127 says, um, in this moment, Jesus, as an example here, he's, he casts a demon out of somebody. He casts an evil spirit out of a person. And everyone looks around and it says, the people were all so amazed, they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. See, the words of Jesus are powerful. And the foundation of the church, they said, we got to get a hold of this. We got to get a hold of the words of Jesus because they're changing things. They're doing things. They, they're shifting things. When they taught the gospel, what does it say happened? Many signs and wonders. It says, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See, in its infancy, only the apostles could do it because they're really the only ones who had that, the, the word of God, the words of Jesus ingrained in their heart. But what we see in Scripture as they begin to teach and devote themselves to the gospel, that word started to get into other people's hearts, and it began to well up. And then the power of God began to move throughout the world. But they devoted themselves to the gospel. They said the foundation of our church, of us as the church, as me, my foundation, my, what strengthens me in this moment is the word of God. 
It says they were devoted to the word. And they saw the miraculous. Can I tell you, church, that I have a lot of questions in life. Why things go the way they do, why things happen the way they happen. I, I need a lot of wisdom and guidance. And I, I'm probably not the only person here that lays awake at night and sometimes and wonders, like, okay, what are we going to do? And how are we going to make it happen? And, and how is this going to work? And, and all these things. And can I tell you all the answers and all the powers right here? Right? It's right here in the Word of God. It's right here in, in this, so much so that the, the very first thing they did was devote themselves. It, it, this is the purest form of the church. This is the, the purest form of what's happening, the most innocent form of the church. And the very first thing they said is, we got to get the Word of God in us. We got to get the words of Jesus inside of us. I got to get my hands in it, I, on it. I got to get my head in it. I got to get it in my heart God, would you teach me? Would you guide me? Would you free me? God, would you give me direction when, when I, don't, I don't know where to go? And the early church said, they said, man, we want more of God. We've seen what he can do. And the power doesn't come from us. The power doesn't come from our motivation. It comes from the word of God. Can I tell you, church, if we want to be a church that sees the miraculous, that sees the move of God, then this is our starting line. This isn't an eventually I'll get to it when I'm spiritual enough, when I understand enough. This is, this is a starting point. And, and I'll give you a place to start in it in just a moment. So if you're like, I don't even know, don't, don't worry, that's okay. I, I talk to people all the time in, in this church and in this city who tell me, I just don't know where to start in scripture. And we, we feel maybe a little ashamed about that or, or frustrated. And can I tell you, we, we as a church, we wanna partner with you in encouraging you to dive deeper in scripture. So I'm gonna give... Uh, some direction in just a second, but the very first thing is that they devoted themselves to the word of God, right, to the gospel. The second thing that we see uh, that is the foundation, that is the pillar uh, of the church of you and I is generosity. It says the word fellowship here. So you're like, how did you make the jump from fellowship to generosity? Well, the word that's being used here is a little different than I think we use fellowship. The word here is, is actually closer to partnering generosity, to sacrificial unity. It's, it's so different than how we have fellowship. Because when I think fellowship traditionally, I think a no kind of strings attached connection. I think of like um, a fellowship time, that like time where you're trying to get to your seat, but people are still trying to make small talk with you. Or the time you're trying to get to your car and people are trying to make small talk. It's like, how invested am I? They're like, no one's really like, it's not costing anybody to have conversation with me. That's kind of how we see fellowship. But fellowship to them, here's what fellowship meant to the early church. When they said fellowship, when they said church, us, let's fellowship, here's what they meant. Sacrificial unity. Here's what they meant. You and I, we're in this together. When I say fellowship, I mean you and I, no matter how you came here, how you got here, what your past is, what you're like, what your status in the world is, you and I, we're in this together. We're in this life together. We, we seek, man, Jesus is good. He's faithful. God, I give my heart to you. Man, I'm, I'm in this with someone. This is real. You and I, we're in this together, fellowship. It comes from this Greek word that I really don't want to pronounce, uh, but it means fellowship, sharing, participation, contribution. It means really all of this boiled down. When it says partners, or fellowship, it means partners. We are in this together. The same word, but as an adjective now, is used in verse 44. When it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. In this idea of all things in common, it, it's, it's the same uh, foundational word that Luke is using here in Scripture. The same word that means fellowship is the same uh, word now being used to mean all things in common. It says they sold all their possessions. Right, get this. Don't let this freak you out. But they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That was fellowship. Fellowship costs something. What I think is interesting is like no one told them to sell their possessions. Right, like no one told them like you have to sell all of your stuff. Now Jesus did tell that to people. So maybe they were in response like, you know what, I'm going to give it away before he asks me to. Then I can kind of decide. But it says they sold all of their possessions. No one told them, why, why would you choose, ask yourself, why would you choose to sell all your possessions and give it to someone else? They've not known each other for an extensive period of time. 
Some of them have, but a lot of them have not. Why? Why sell your stuff? Why give it away? Why be so generous? Why have so much skin in the game for fellowship? Because they genuinely cared for each other. It's crazy to me that the most groundbreaking thing that sometimes can happen in church is when we actually care for one another. I love seeing it happen in church, but it like surprises people. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> someone actually cared for me. And by cared, I don't mean like said nice things, but I mean gave up something of mine or something of me, my time or whatever, to invest into someone else because I see them and know them and value them. Again, it goes back to this idea. The early church looked around and they said, what we need is this idea that says, we're in this together. You and I, we're in this together. We're in this together. You and I, we're in this together. This life is tough. This life is hard. We don't know all the answers, but you and I, we're in this together. I, uh, one of my favorite preachers said that proximity breeds passion. I think it's interesting. When we spend time with people, we learn their needs. We learn what matters to them. We learn really like what they value. And I think that as a church, that is what makes it so groundbreaking because we can cross the aisle, so to speak, when it comes to being individuals. That the church has always been made up of different races, backgrounds, ages, social status. But when we have this idea of true, generous fellowship, it, true generosity, we're, we're willing to think so differently about other people in our community, in our city. See, the world tells us, like, if you're rich, you just got to, you think, oh, well, if you don't have money, then you should just work harder. So you must be lazy. That's why you don't have money. And if you're poor, you think, well, this rich person, they have all they could ever want. So they certainly must never have problems. I have problems. They could never have problems. And we just begin to judge and, and wrongly assess each other and to build this idea because we're not close. We're not near. So somebody that's a different skin color or a different social status or a different age than me, oh, they must be this because I'm so far away from them that I don't actually know them. And so I don't actually care for them unless somehow I can elevate myself by caring, like hashtag whatever, or change my profile picture. I don't actually care for you. I just want everyone to think I care for you. It's called virtue signaling, right? And so this idea that existed in the church is through generosity, I'm going to put skin in the game and say, you know what? I do care for you. And here's how much, here's how much I care for you. See, the religious regime that existed in the time, it said to people and it looked out at people and, and it says this, it says, you have value based on what you bring to the table. If I think it's valuable because we're the same or, or I like what you bring or you have money or whatever, blah, 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 then you have value. And here's what Jesus says, you have value because I brought you to the table, right? I brought all people to the table and I gave to you so abundantly. And so the early church looked at what God had given them and they said, oh my goodness, I'm a wretched sinner. It doesn't matter like when I, when I look like who I am or what my background is, like I, I'm a sinner and God forgave me and he brought me into eternity and he gave me a new life and a new hope. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to start giving it away. No one told them to give their possessions. They just said, man, Praise God that he has given me so much and out of the overflow, I'm gonna give to others. They took the limits off their generosity because they knew people, they cared. They said, we're in this together. We got true fellowship. And when they took the limits off their generosity, we saw God just abundantly bless them. One of the hardest things I think, like stepping in as a lead pastor, um, I guess I don't like know enough to just not be overly honest. So someone weigh me down if it's too much. Uh, <laughs> is how much people will complain to me about money. Now we have a very giving church. So I love our church. Our church gives. We're just like how many people would come to me and be like, I don't believe in tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. And we're not talking about giving today. But I'm just kind of like, oh, you know. <laughs> okay, well, it's biblical. But, you know, Jesus talked about it all the time. But, you know, I try to do my best. But here's, here I'll just kind of like lay it out and say generosity was so key to the early church. And so if you're, if you're a hyper-literalist and you say, well, 10% tithing, bring your tithe into the storeroom, God will bless it. That's Old Testament. You're hyper-literal. Then let's just go hyper-literal New Testament. Sell all your stuff. That's what I want. <laughs> if you're going to be hyper-literal over here, at least don't be hypocritical. Sell all your possessions and give it to the church. If you're going to be hyper-literal over here, don't meet me in the middle with hypocrisy. Just go all the way. Come on. 
Sell all your stuff. I'll, I'll, glad, I'll take that check. Katie will receive it. She'll be up here in the front, and, <laughs> and we'll bring it in. I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad, but to say there's this idea that existed that what's supposed to motivate them to generosity is looking at their brother and sister and saying, you and I were in this together. I'm not an island. I don't exist by myself. I'm not going to abandon this relationship. You and I were in this together. And so we might be totally different, but we're in this together. The third thing this morning, another pillar of the church for you and I, says this is for a healthy, healthy community, healthy church, healthy individuals. The third thing is community. In your scripture, it probably said breaking of bread. And I know often breaking of bread here is to refer um, about communion and the sacraments. I believe the sacraments are important. The language that Luke is using here specifically is uh, addressing the idea of eating together. Now, when they ate together, they observed the sacraments because that's what they were told to do. So part of that is true. But the breaking of bread, he means eating a meal together. It's funny, uh, living in Seattle, no one invites you to their house to eat like ever, people would move from the Midwest and they would move to Seattle and then we'd be talking and we'd do ministry and they'd be like, yeah, you know, everyone's nice, um, but they never invite me to their house. I've never seen, I've been here for six years, I've never seen anybody's house, right? And that's because uh, Seattle, the pe- people are always kind of like the dirt. It's, it's soft at the top and it's rock hard after that. And so you get that top layer and then everything else is arm's distance. It's like, man, we're super friendly. We'll go to, for coffee. But it's like, I, I can't let you into my house. I can't let you know where I live. Like, I can't give that information. We all turn into, like, all of Seattle is basically like uh, Mulder from the X-Files. They're just kind of paranoid. And then they wonder why they don't have friends. <laughs> it's like, he didn't either. <laughs> no one comes to your home. And so there's this intimate kind of friendship that exists because when you eat with someone in someone's house, there's an intimacy that not only says like before we're in it together but it's a hospitality it says I welcome you in I welcome you as you are when you invite someone into your house they see all that you are and you see all that they are you can't tell them like hey wear a suit jacket when you come over you just get them as they are you get them in their realist you have real conversation and so again if you don't have a home this is the principle that I that I want to emphasize that exists here in, in this idea because not all of us have a home not all of us invite people in our home some of us have social anxiety about that but here's this principle they spent time together I'll, uh, I know some of you guys are really into like the Greek and all these things so here here's this phrase in the Greek they spent time together <laughs> Here it is in Hebrew. You ready for this? They spent time together. Like it's so basic, but it's so foundational. I'm making that up. This this is in Greek, so don't freak out. They spent time together. They spent time together. Like it's crazy that I even have to preach that. They spent time together. I, I love spending time with people in this church. And I love like, and if I'm on Instagram or whatever, and I see people spending time, it's amazing. I see people spending time together in this church because we were meant to spend time with one another. There was no separation uh, in the early church, what we called it compartmentalization. We meet with young people all the time. Young people love to do this. Like, uh, and I did this when I was young. It's like, well, here's my church crew and here's, <laughs> here's everybody else. You know, here's my other crew and I gotta keep them separate. And there was no separation. Christ was the foundation of their life. And so they spent time together. Can I tell you, when Christ transforms your life, he will usually transform your schedule. And if your schedule has not changed since you gave your heart to the Lord, you might want to go, do I need to change something? Like if nothing about what I do on the day-to-day has changed since I found the most life-changing, life-altering hope of Jesus Christ that he has instilled in me by the power of the Holy Spirit that I am called to give out, he says, you know what, that should probably change something on, in your Monday, Friday. Like that should probably shift just a little bit, your weekend, your plans. And so the early church saw this. They saw that Christ was everything. And more importantly, I think they saw, or not more importantly, also they saw life is hard. Right, like life is difficult. There's a lot of junk this week. Did anyone go through some junk this past week? Just be like, amen, you don't have to raise your hand. Just say amen, yeah. You went through some junk this week. Life is tough. Junk is an understatement, but we can't say the word you're really thinking. (laughs) But they said, you know what, listen, things are good for us right now. The early church says things are good. And I would rather build a boat on a sunny day than in the middle of a flood. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna put in this pillar that says we gotta spend time together. 
We gotta get encouraged. I gotta go to a small group during the week, even though I don't wanna go, and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, Tuesday nights, are you serious? Why did I sign up for this thing? I didn't even read this week. I don't even know. Half these people, maybe, maybe they don't even know my name, you know, and we're just like, give all these excuses. But we go and we build community because guys, life is tough. And we are never meant to tackle it alone. We're supposed to have the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to have a community together. It was never meant to be a solo endeavor where we just showed up and then checked out. But can I tell you that the early church looked and they said, wow, this is like for real, this mission. I, I need some help. I need some people around me. I need some encouragement this week. I need to get, I need to get strengthened. Turns out I don't have everything I need to make it through the week. I, I need some people. Can I tell you, this is gonna be way too honest, but I got the time on the clock, so it's fine. Man, it's exhausting to be that person for everyone. It's really wore me out. It's hard. We gotta be that for each other. Come into this church, man. Do you know who's here? Do you spend time with them? Do you got time for people in the church? Because can I tell you that God's doing good things? He's brought good people, and I don't want you to miss it. I want you to spend time with some good people. Sign up for a small group. <laughs> there's, my, there's my plug on that. The fourth thing, my last thing, I'm gonna invite the band forward. Fourth, actually, you know, you can wait. You can wait. I got, some, I got a couple minutes. See, I want you to be able to write this down. So, you know, the band always misses the last point. It's in the band for a long time. You miss this last point, and you're like, dang it. Have all these pages of incomplete sermon notes. Well, the fourth thing, <laughs> the fourth thing, it's like, I can't preach a single sermon because I just got 75%. Just altar call at point two every time. <laughs> but the, the fourth thing this morning is the congregation. Congregation. Some scripture, they, they translate this as prayer, but in scripture, this uh, word and this phrase really translates as the prayers. So some, depending on your translation, it says the prayers. I think it's important because it's not just prayer. Prayer is vitally important, totally crucial. Man, if you're not here on Mondays, you're missing something awesome. This last Monday was fire. I mean, my mom has been praying for years that God would heal her. And we saw just the manifestation of the Spirit heal her. And we can we clap for that for my mom? Amen. I mean, that, that's awesome. I received it. was so good. So prayer is important. But the, the phrase here is specifically prayer that they're talking about is prayer offered in temple. It says in verse 46 that they would attend temple together. When it says the prayers, it meant literally when they would go to prayer. And here's kind of why I'm saying this, is that when Jesus fulfilled the prophecy, it didn't make them not Jewish anymore, right? Like, they were like, oh, we're not, we're not Jewish anymore. Like, this is their heritage. This is their temple. The temple was still the temple. It was still the house of God. It was still the place they would go and gather. It was, it was still like, this. it was just fulfilled. <laughs> it was like, the, the rest, it was point four. I mean, right? It was like, hey, we did it. You know, <laughs> it was, it was good. It, and it was a celebration. And so here's what they did is they understood at the beginning of the church in the honeymoon season, they understood the importance of gathering together as a congregation, as a group of people in the house of God and praying and praising him. Can I tell you, there is power in the house of God. This is just brick and some stucco and a wall we drew on and some chandeliers and all that, and it's all this stuff. But can I tell you, there's something powerful when we come here. Because I, I have seen God move here. I know that his presence is here with us and God goes with us, but there's something special and powerful about when we come together. I'm not negating everything that happens elsewhere. That is also powerful. I'm just saying, why negate this? Because this is powerful. I love Psalm 22, uh, and it says that God inhabits the praises of his people, right? He dwells in the praises of Israel. There's the idea that when we come together, something happens, something shifts, something breaks. And considering their first meeting at the temple, they got the Holy Spirit, they thought, hey, let's do this again. Why not, right? People are getting healed. And so what they would do in this idea of congregational gathering is when they would go into a city, when the apostles would go in, the very first place they would go was the temple, and they would begin to minister. And what they realized at the beginning is that foundational, structural to the church is that we would gather together and that we would praise God and we would pray and we would seek the Lord together as a congregation in the strength and unity. And they believed that God would move 
and they saw that God would move, amen? Are you also with me this morning? I know we like to make acts very, you know, prescriptive, and we say like, well, they met in, you know, homes, and they met in, um, they met in like uh, catacombs, and they met in these places. Can I tell you, they started in the temple till they got kicked out. They didn't start in tombs, like as like a, hey, you know, there's free space. They started in the temple. Can I tell you if the if the early church had the freedom and the access to buildings where they could come and gather and worship, they would. Now, they didn't keep up the day-to-day thing forever, but can I tell you that they would love that. And here's how I know every time the church gets an opportunity to get the freedom to gather when there's an oppressive regime that comes upon a church and then that leaves and there's freedom to gather, guess where they gather? In public, in spaces, and they rejoice in daylight, not in tombs. And so the early church and the foundation says, you know what's good? Meeting together. You know what we shouldn't abandon? Meeting together. You know what we gotta stick to? Meeting together. Because turns out God's moving and he's doing something. He's moving in our gatherings, in our fellowship, in our giving. He's moving in seeking the word. He's moving in our community when we're meeting in our smaller groups. And guess what? He's moving when we're meeting all together here. So don't give up on meeting together some have had the habit of doing but bear with one another together the church obviously didn't continue on like this they were uh, persecuted they were scattered a lot of a lot of things you read say it was good they sold all they had because turns out they were just better at recognizing they couldn't hold on to it we're just a little bit better it's thinking we can hold on to our stuff but they can bear it with you you still can't take it with you so they kind of got that really quick, but things didn't continue on. But still these, these pillars, these, these uh, structure of the church remained, the gospel, generosity, community, congregation, and, it, and it's held for thousands of years for you and I to continue, to not drop the baton, but to continue forward. But what fueled them? Because can I tell you, people have been people from the beginning of time. So even back then, people laid in bed at 9.30, 9.40, 9.45, 9.55, and thought, yeah, you know, I don't think we're going to church today. That People were still people. People still had tough weeks. People still had difficult days. All, people had crazy, Christians had crazy days. People were still people. And so what fueled them? What fuels us? What keeps it alive? What gives us that passion? What sustains us? What are these pillars, what do they rest on that holds it up? I wanna read Revelation 2, uh, two through four. People are like, oh, you're ending on Revelation? Don't worry, it gets happy. These are Jesus' words to Ephesus. He says, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. He's saying here, I know you guys have come up against a lot of adversity and you've made it. A lot of false teaching, but you've made it. A lot of hard days, but you've made it together. You still got a great looking church. (laughs) And he says, you persevered and you've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. But he says this, and this is kind of the shocking part, yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first. Can I tell you, church, the foundation of what all these things sit on is that our first love is Jesus Christ. Our first love is Jesus. When the honeymoon ends in your marriage, what happens to love? Does it just go away? You're like, oh, I guess we're stuck together. No, emotion fades, but the love remains. And the love that is true love that remains is modeled after Christ Jesus. It's a sacrificial love. It's a covenant love. It's a deep love. It's a faithful love. It's a strong love. It's the love of Jesus. It's not human love. It's supernatural love. Our first love is Jesus. See, Ephesus did everything right. They had a great building. They had good systems. They, they had good theology. They had all of these things kind of together. But in the end, it says you, you missed it. You forgot your first love of Jesus Christ. You forgot what motivated you, what fueled your passion. And so the early church right at the beginning recognizes that the love of Jesus is what sustains all of this. It's what holds it up. It's not human effort that holds up generosity. It's not human effort that holds us up. Right, look at those foundations again, and let's just be honest, as like honest, real, authentic people, not like super spiritual and holy, just, just honest together and say the gospel. 
Reading the Bible is hard, especially when you start. You don't have the habit. You don't really know what you're doing. You're just kind of like rolling through it. And, and it's hard in our brain to build in new habits. It, that's just real. It, it, it can take time. It's hard even for those who are developed Christians sometimes to be like, ah, I'm not really getting in the Word like I should. That's just the reality. But can I tell you when we begin to, to not harp on ourselves for not reading, not harp on ourselves for this, not, not, not attack each other or anything, but we begin to just look to Jesus and say, God, I put you first. Jesus, I put you first on the throne of my life. You are my first love. Jesus, just begin to strengthen in me, reveal things to me, take things in my life that shouldn't be there and just purify my heart. I put you first. You are my first love. Can I tell you, that is what spurs us to being about the gospel. The church of Jesus Christ, our church was founded by people that looked to Jesus first and that fueled them no matter what they faced to be about the word of God, the word of God in their life. And I wanna encourage you, uh, we're reading Acts together as a church. If you're like, I, I, I don't really know what to read. I've never started reading the Bible. I encourage you to read Acts with us, uh, Acts 3 this coming week. The other thing that's really great is you can read through uh, the book of John. If you've never started, you got that Bible, you've never started, read through the book of John and then and then we would love to, to talk with you about that. The other thing is we have some great groups going through how to open up the Bible. Our Santan group, that's that's our seed group, really we're, we're doing a group in Santan because we're believing that God is bringing something there and doing something is going through how to open your Bible. Uh, a lot of our groups will be going through scripture together. So can I tell you, if you want to be about the word, you wanna see the miraculous, you wanna see God move, there's opportunity. But it's not human effort that empowers that. It's the love of God to say, Jesus, I put you first. I put you first. Today sucked. <laughs> I don't wanna read my Bible, but I put you first in my life. Look at Generosity. Can I tell you, anytime I get something, I, I wanna hold on to it. The only person, rat. <laughs> when I get something, I wanna hold on to it, but I gotta go back to Jesus and I gotta go back to the love of God and say, you know what? The world is telling me to hold on tighter, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna begin to be generous and to give away, be generous with my time. I only get so many days off and I work here. It's like, do I really wanna like go meet with it? Yeah, I do because I wanna give generously into the kingdom of God. I get it, we only get, you only got so many days off, you only got so much time, but can I tell you that God and the church understood at the beginning that we should be generous we are in this together. We're in this together. Do you know the need? Can you see the need? Can we, can we fill the need? Can we care for one another? Are we being generous or are there things in our life that we, we haven't really put Jesus on the throne of? It's still us. We're still in control of our money, of our time, of our resources, of our energy, of our serving, right? Because we're on the throne. But if we look to Jesus and, and we go back to the church in Ephesus and we say, okay, God, I wanna put you first. I wanna remember you as my first love. All of a sudden we say, God, take the limits off my generosity. Help me to remove the padlocks that I have put on my generosity. Look at community. Sometimes it can be hard to hang out. I hear all the time, like, I want deep relationships. Like, great, how come I don't see you a small group? We want this, we desire, we are built for community. Can I tell you, church, we're built to be together, but the week is long and sometimes it's hard to get motivated to, to come to the group, even though we know it's good. We know that God's moving and we know that he's teaching and we're like, how am I gonna make it? I gotta drive, I got traffic, I got things. Can I tell you when we just go back to Jesus and say, God, I, I put you first in my heart tonight. I know I wanna stay home and I wanna binge watch The Office, but what I'm gonna do tonight is I'm gonna say, Jesus, I put you on the throne, I put you first, and I wanna reestablish the pillar of community in my life. I'm gonna take the reins. I'm not gonna wait for someone else, and I'm gonna say, we're having community. We're spending time together. We're spending time together. I'm gonna get home and I'm gonna be exhausted and I'm gonna be tired, but I'm gonna choose to come back to the block party, not because it makes Josh feel good that there's numbers or anything, but because I believe in having community. And turns out I wanna actually kind of know the names of people in my own church because when I hurt, when, I, when they hurt, I hurt. When you win, I win. When you succeed, I succeed. When you cry, I cry. When you get frustrated, I get frustrated because I'm with you and how we do that is community. And, and again, the last one on congregation, look at this from the perspective of putting Jesus is I know there are so many things to do. Again, it's funny how busyness is basically the enemy of a church on mission is that the enemy does not want you to be here. 
The enemy doesn't want you to be at prayer. The enemy does not want you to be here on a Sunday morning. He does not want you to have the energy to praise. We're singing about like awesome stuff. He doesn't want you to lift your hands, right? He's just throwing stuff at you like, ah, oh, weak Gianna. He doesn't want you to come lead worship. He doesn't want you to come lead people into the presence of God. He just wants to keep piling junk on you all week. But can I tell you, we look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I don't, I don't feel like it today, but I, I choose to put you first in my heart. I lay aside everything else and I say, Jesus, I love you. God, would you fill me with your love? And would your love motivate me to come together? And as we pray and as we praise, would you change things? Would you break things away? Would you shift things to the atmosphere? Would you do something in this church that you have never done before? Would you bring revival? God, I take myself off, my, off the throne and I put you up there and I say, God, would you do something? You sit on the throne of my life and you decide you are my first love. So I look to you in all things. My, my prayer for this church, and please hear my heart when I say this, is that my prayer is that we would be a church so motivated by the love of Jesus that we can't wait to gather and praise him. Like, I don't get this band every day of the week, so I'm excited to come and praise him. I'd be a little loud some weeks, and, you know, who knows? Like, if I'm on, you know, we're not singing in key, but, like, <laughs> I'm trying my best. I try to sing in key. Gianna does a great job, but who knows? But I don't have this band every day, so the day I get it, and they're just leading and bringing in the presence. I hope you feel that when it happens. It's like, I got to get a hold of that. My prayer is that we would be a church that, that sees that and knows that. Here's what I wanna shift for our church. I joked the other week with somebody, if somebody comes three times in a month, I'll make them an elder. <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna see that change, church, can I be honest? Say, I can't wait to get to church this morning. I can't wait to get there. Cause I've had a crap week and I just wanna praise God and I wanna get through it. I wanna break it off and I feel like garbage, but I'm gonna go and I'm gonna believe freedom. I'm gonna believe health. I'm gonna believe change. I'm gonna believe something's gonna shift. I'm gonna get a hold of the word of God and I'm gonna get into it. And I've been reading the word all week and I don't understand what I'm reading, but I'm gonna go because somebody's gonna hopefully illuminate it or I'm gonna come forward and I'm gonna get prayer. And you know what, God, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I'm going to church cause I'm not leaving before I get prayed for. I'm not leaving before something happens in my life. There's no way that I want to spend next week the same person that I started this week. So I'm going to go to church and get a hold of it in the name of Jesus. And the church understood that. Our founding church family, men and women, understood how important that was. And when they did that, get this, when they did that, when they put Jesus first and they look to Jesus for the gospel, for generosity, for community, for congregation. It says the Lord added to their number day by day. I don't wanna miss a day because I wanna see God add to our number, not, not my number, not a number that we report, but the number of freed hearts, broken chains, released, peace-filled. I want to see that number added day by day. Would you stand with me this morning? It's pretty simple this morning. But I hope that, our, that when we leave here, our focus is to say, God, I have this list of my, the four pillars here, and I see those things, and I know I probably need to grow. I need to grow in every area of this. So I see all those. But what's going to grow that? What's going to grow that? It's a foundation of the love of Jesus. And so some of us this morning, our cry really has to be, Jesus, I, I haven't really put you first. Maybe you come into this church and you've never experienced the hope and love and life of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you in this moment, don't miss it. This is your moment to say, Jesus, I put you first. I choose to follow you for the very first time in my life. For some of us, we uh, dipped our toe into Christianity, and, and, and but we have not fully decided to step in and say, God, I take myself off the throne and I put you on. It's one thing to with your mouth, it's another thing to with your heart. Say, Jesus, I put you on the throne. And maybe some of us have been serving the Lord for a long time, and it feels like things just aren't clicking like they used to. Can I tell you, Jesus is saying this morning, if you would get a hold of more of my love, if you would put everything aside and put me into the position on the throne of your life, that you could see the miraculous, you could see change, you could see connection, you could see community, you could see generosity, you could see all of these things. 
But he's asking this morning, I think some of you he's asking, will you put me first in your heart? This is my last thing this morning. Some of you guys have had a very rough month and you're saying, you know, before I leave, I just need the love of Jesus. I just need to experience that. You're like, what does that mean? I, I need to experience coming before and laying my heart to him in the altar and just saying, Jesus, would you fill me? I, I need you. I, I need you this week. I need you in my life. I need you in my situation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I'm just gonna ask a couple things and you can just raise your hand uh, with me and we'll have a moment to come down and receive prayer in just a second. But I'm just gonna ask a few things and you can pop your hand up and the very first thing, I, I always wanna give this opportunity to anyone here. Maybe you came in, you've never encountered the gospel. And uh, it's not that I preach the gospel message, but you're saying, man, you know, I, I, I need hope in my life. I need freedom. I'm tired of living as a savior of myself. I, I need a savior. I, I need to follow Jesus. I wanna be filled with the love of Jesus. Would you do me a favor? If that's you for the very first time, you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never surrendered, would you just lift your hand so I can see it and then put it down? Second thing this morning, with every head closed, or every head bowed, every eye closed. There we go. If you're in this place and you're saying, I, I just need to put Jesus first. I, I, I don't know if I've really been putting him first in my life. I kind of go to him as a secondary thing. I try to deal with it with my own energy and my own strength. And what comes out is just basically anxiety. But what I want is I want to put Jesus in that role. I want to put him on the throne of my life. I want to put him first. I need the hope. I need the, the, the joy, the peace, the, the freedom. I, I'm going to lay some things aside. And this morning, I want to put you first, Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? You're saying, this morning I'm committing to putting Jesus first in my life. If that's you, you're gonna make the say, Jesus, I put you first in my life. I'm gonna raise my hand too. I put you first in my life, Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we, we choose this morning. We say, we look at the church and say, God, how good it was, how good it was. But we also see what sustained it. And with our hands raised, God, we say what sustained it was your love. What sustained it was a devotion to you. What sustained it was your word and your power. And so, God, if there's any area in our life where we have not put you first in our time or our finance or our resources or our heart or in our, in our, in our anxiety, God, we've taken you away and we've put fear there, God. We just repent of that and we say, God, in this moment, would you just fill us? Would you fill us this morning with your love? Would you reveal to us a deeper understanding of your love that it might motivate us in your gospel, that it might motivate us in generosity, that it might motivate us in community, that it might motivate us in gathering. God, we put you first this morning, wherever you are. If you're praying that prayer, could you do me a favor just in your heart or with your mouth, just say, Jesus, I put you first. Just take a second and say, Jesus, I put you first. Jesus, you are my first love. I put you first. Jesus, fill me with your love. We're going to sing a song this morning. I want to give you an opportunity. If this morning you're saying, I, as, as the band closes and we're going to worship together, I'm going to invite our prayer team. We'll, we'll be up in just a second. But you're saying, you know, I, I just need more of the love of Jesus or I, I really don't want to leave without something happening in my life. I, I need to be filled. I need to be encouraged. I need to be healed. Whatever it is you're saying, I, I need that in my life. Or maybe this morning you're saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm gonna make a commitment like I raised my hand and I'm gonna come forward and say, God, I choose today to put you first in my life. I choose to put you first and I pray that God in this moment of sacrifice that you would use it for the miraculous, that you would use it to change things, that you would use it to see a miracle in my family, that you would use it to see a miracle in my health, that you would use it to see a miracle in my city, that you would use it to see a miracle in my work, in my life, in my heart, in my attitude, a miracle in my bitterness. If you're saying this morning, God, I choose that, would you just do me a favor? Would you just begin to make your way forward and the band is gonna play and I'm gonna invite our prayer team to just pray for you. I'll do this real quick, actually. I know, I'm sorry, it's 11.30. I just feel like that God wants to begin to free some people. God wants to begin to do something and some of you guys are, are 
are waiting and you're like, that's not me, but you know, you're thinking of a person, you're saying, I wanna stand in the gap for somebody this morning that I wanna see deliverance and life change and freedom from. Would you just come forward? I wanna pray with you the same thing that as we, as we put Christ first or say, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that steps out, but I put Christ first. Would you just come forward? We wanna, we wanna pray with you, pray for you. Let's pray together. If you if you came forward, would you just stretch out your hands and we're gonna pray. And then as the band plays, I'll have prayer team come over and just begin, begin praying with you. But God, we pray this morning that as those who have stepped out to see deliverance and freedom and, and to see something happen when they put you first and say, God, I commit again and I come before you again and I stand in the gap again maybe, that, that God, you would move. God, we pray this morning that this would not just be participation, but that there would be power in it. And so God, we just stand there and we say, God, would you move? moved by your power. We thank you for your promise that says if we seek, if we ask, if we knock, if we seek you, we will find you when we seek you with all of our heart. And so we say, God, all of our heart is for you. Jesus, we put you on your throne. We know that there is power in the presence of God. And so I pray this morning as we seek you in your presence, God, that 